Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, what a goal! Hello and welcome to The Last Word on Spurs. We hope you're keeping very safe and well out there. International break, good international break as well. Seeing Tottenham Hotspur, top of the Premier League. And that small club, and they say they're from North London, I'm not too sure they are. South London, bottom of the Premier League. We're absolutely enjoying that for the moment. We're, we're itching for Premier League football to come back to us and we're not going to have to wait that long at all. Back next week, of course. Delighted to have joining me along this special show. I've got the wonderful, my crazy instructor, Lee McQueen in the house. Lee, how are you? Ricky, yeah, again on. Yeah, really good. Really thoroughly looking forward to it. It's my first ever show with Martin and Kat. So uh, I'm really, really looking forward to it. I, I'm always, I always listen to the ones that uh, that you do traditionally. So uh, really happy to be a part of it tonight and uh, to get into some of the, the great stuff that, uh, that the Trust do. Oh, fantastic. We're happy to have you here, mate. Absolutely brilliant to have you here. And like Lee said there, like, we're absolutely delighted once again to welcome back to the last one on Spurs. First up, the co-chair of the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust, Martin Coke joins us. Martin, how are you? Yeah, not bad. Thanks, and uh, very nice words, Lee. Thank you very much. Uh, I think you're, you're, you must be the one listener then. So <laughs> <laughs> there's always one. They say there's always one. <laughs> good, good, uh, good to be on anyway. And uh, as you say, um, sort of quite quite a nice position football wise. But now we'll get into that. Yeah, and thank you for joining us, Martin, on this new platform. It's uh, one that takes a while of getting used to. So thank you so much for uh, joining us on this new platform. And also joining him, of course, it's, uh, I say it's definitely not a double act. It's more than just a double act. We've got the wonderful Katrina Law joining us as well from the Tottenham Supporters Trust. Kat, how are you? Love to see you. Hello, Ricky. I'm okay. Thank you very much. Uh, I've had um, worse weeks and it's been a beautiful day today. It's been gorgeous weather. Loved it. Lovely. Yeah, so, looking forward to this. And uh, Ricky did say uh, Lee's going to bring the energy, so I'm going to try and rival that. Oh, yes. come on, come on, oh, we need that. Always yeah. good. Always going to be good. And actually, just really, to... just talking talking about the sun, right? So I, I come back from I come back from Spain uh, only uh, um, last weekend on Monday, Bank Holiday Monday. So actually, the first time I've seen the sunshine in this country in like five days. So it was really lovely day today. Yeah, oh, I don't think we've had any sun for about five weeks. It's so <laughs> been crazy. <laughs> Honestly, guys, like to have you here. And it's, it's actually nice talking them. Um, something other than I say we always talk about Tottenham, of course, but it's nice to talk about such a positive light. You know, I think the last time we had you in Martin and Cat, definitely there was an air of trepidation going into the start of the season. You know, and I think that was probably one of the lowest shows we've done with you guys. And we've had you on for the last three, four years, I would say. Where you know we've always looked at the try to look at the positives and try to always have hope and belief and courage going to the start of a new season. So, um, like I say, to be sitting top after three games, uh, like I say, three clean sheets as well. It's been a great start. And Joe, we'll come round to you, mind to start the show because, like I say, it's uh, three straight victories in the Premier League for Tottenham under Nuno Aspilicueta Santo as they are top of the league. 
Um, what have you made of the start to the season, Martin? Can you quite believe what you're watching at the moment? I think, look, you can't complain, can you? Three wins, three clean sheets, uh, Woolwich bottom with no goals, uh, you know, it's, uh, and, you know, seemingly in, in, in a big crisis. But it's, you know, it's just three games. I think it's nice to see that. It's nice to see some positive football on the pitch. It's nice to see us kind of, um, you know, having the, 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 the courage and the confidence to go beyond the halfway line occasionally and maybe not to sit back on a 1-0 on a lead and try and, you know, border border pants off the opposition. So that's quite good. And I think also, look, we've had fans back in stadiums as well. And I mean, that's been complicated and it's been challenging. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But people have missed their football and they want to get back in. And I think you saw, you know, from the atmosphere that's been in, you know, not just in our stadium, I know it was pretty special at the City game, but just like throughout, throughout football, really. Uh, people are pleased to be back. So, yeah, there's a bit of a feel-good factor after what, for a number of different reasons, there have been some quite some quite bad times. People have begun to, you know, fall out of love with the club and the game a little bit, I think, as well. So, but we'll see. It's a nice position to be in, but there's a long way to go. And as Nuno says, uh, it's what happens at the end of the season and not after three games that count. So, yeah, absolutely for, uh, for sure. And just actually add on that. I mean, a, a couple of you already touched upon this point, but Spurs now are the only team with a hundred percent record after three games. Nuno is the first manager to win his first three league games since Arthur O back in 1949, uh, of, of which obviously none of us can, can remember that, only from the archives, of course. Um, but saying all of that, does it feel a little bit, Cat coming over to you, does it feel a little bit like, I mean, maybe it's a bit too early, but Nuno could be the man to unite the fan base the way maybe Potticino did? Um, what's your thoughts on that? You know what? It takes a big man to unite our fan base, let's put it that way. And even Potch, <laughs> was struggling towards the end, wasn't he? It was pretty divided there. Um, I, I don't know an awful lot about Nuno, or Nez, as we could call him for short, to help with nice. the pronunciation. Thanks very much, uh, Nez. Um, but what I've seen of him, I'm impressed by. I think he looks like a man who acts with integrity, which I think is really important. And I think he's somebody who um, will try and play football the right way and play by the rules, which I also like. Um, and look, it's just marvellous not to have, however you slice and dice it, the toxicity of uh, Mr Mourinho around around the club, isn't it? And to start yeah. and our football again. And when you see players like Delhi really responding to Nuno, I think that's always a good sign. So I'd like to think he's a gentleman and he conducts himself, you know, with grace. That's what I would expect from a manager or head coach of our of our club. Um, let's see. I I haven't met a fan who hasn't liked what they've seen so far yeah. but there's a long way to go but I do worry that what divides the fan base will be things that occur and decisions that are made at above a level of yeah. Nuno potentially I think that's uh, where a lot of the conflict has come from in the past so yeah I mean but we can't moan can we really as we said perfect start no goals conceded and although we've only won the one nils we've really tried to score more goals we haven't just like yeah. At some point in time, do we not have to talk about almost the best signing that, that we've ever had, which was keeping Harry Kane? Mm. Yeah. Mean, and, and, and Son, Son signing a four-year deal is absolutely massive for his football club. I, I, I think that's kind of gone under, not under the radar a little bit, because I think we all love Son, who that would probably be fair to say. But to get that guy to sign on the dotted line for another four years at, at the time where we've been at and where we are, 
I think it was a remarkable foot from the football club. Uh, Paratigi working his magic, or I think it was long, long in the long in the background anyway. To be fair, that, that particular contract. But you know, like you say, you can't really argue with that with that start. Martin, what do you think about Nuno? Have you been impressed? Yeah, I, I, I like the look of him. I mean, I was a little bit kind of nonplussed when when he came in. Uh, I wasn't sort of oh no, but I, I I didn't go fantastic. You know, I thought well let's let's. Let's have a look. I didn't think he was as defensive a coach as a lot of people were saying he was, but uh, a lot of his game, you know, was built around kind of being fairly solid at the back. So I thought, let's see how this will work. And that the problem was, obviously, he knew that he wasn't the first choice. We had that kind of farcical search uh, that had gone on over the summer as well. So how would that work? And I think that he's just kind of, he seems to have got stuck in very quickly and said, okay, I'm here to do a job. I'm going to set a few things down. Uh, he seems to have got the players on side so far. As Kat said, you know, it's not just players like Delhi, but, you know, who would have predicted that, you know, we, we would have the most solid central defensive pairing in the division of, of Dyer and Sanchez, both of whom looked as if they were completely shot under the genius we had in before, didn't they, as well? So we've got, you know, a few players who are kind of, you know, playing a lot better than they had been. And I think you rightly about Son as well, that, 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 it's almost that it does tend to go under the radar a bit, but there is a lot of love. And I think what's happened with Kane has kind of increased that. And all of us, are, you know, we've had different things over the years where you kind of hear I worship a player and then they, they, they kind of either do the dirty or they get a transfer or they move on or whatever. Um, and so it's probably that you get a little bit longer in the tooth like we are and you just think let's be careful about it. But Sonny seems to be very genuine. He's just saying I'm here. While I'm here uh, and, you know, they're paying me what I want to be paid. I've got the contract that I want, you know, because it's a business side of things as well. Uh, I'm going to try and make sure that I do my best and, and win. And, and I think that there's still that little bit of magic maybe with Son. And I think in a way, the pity of what's happened with Harry is that, look, this is one of the two best strikers in world football at the moment. So it's undeniably a good thing that we've held on to him, that we haven't sold him. And I think some credit... Uh, has to go to, to to Levy for digging in. That's where that kind of obduracy, if you like, and, and refuse to be pushed around, you know, does benefit yeah. the club, doesn't it, as well? That's where it works in our favour almost, doesn't it, Martin? Well, where we can put his in. But it's almost that, that, that with Kane now, it's like, you know, we know, and he knows that we know, and we know that he knows that we know, and all the rest of it, that it's just now, <laughs> okay, mate, you know, you're a really good player. We know you wanted to move on. You couldn't move on. Now go and do the job and do your job in the same way that every other employee at the club does the job. And that that's not quite the kind of magic, if you like, that we had before. That's not the fairy tale, but it's almost that, you know, maybe that's the, the rude awakening. That's the reality. And that I think that's what's changed. But I think that having Sonny there, he's that kind of ray of sunshine, if you like, isn't he, at the club? Yeah, and, and people do like that, don't they, as well? Sorry about the, uh, the bad pun. Plenty more where that came from. <laughs> Let's come back. Let's stick with you, Martin, because uh, preparations for the start of a new season, the return of fans to full capacity stadium meant that THST were involved heavily in a number of meetings and discussions in what continues to be a very changing circumstance for all involved. Um, how have you personally found that challenge in terms of fans coming back to stadiums? I remember that was going to be one of the most biggest, I'd say, challenges um, that yeah. we discussed when you were last on. How have you found that? I think that I've been doing this for about eight years, so not not as long as Cat. But this the last eighteen months have have been easily the most challenging that that, that we've had, um, and a lot, you know a lot of it has been because it's just completely new areas. You know, there's never been a complete shutdown of football because of a global pandemic before. 
So you've got no experience to draw on. Everybody's kind of stumbling around in the dark. So, you know, as well as the normal things, you know, we've had to sort of, and we're not experts. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pretend that at all. But, you know, we've had to sort of learn a little about, you know, uh, you know how viruses work and things about medical ethics and you know what 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 are the ethics of of getting you know people to to show their health status and is it the right thing or not so it's not just kind of you know what's the price of a pint or you know sort of are the seats facing the right way you know it, it's it's kind of getting quite complicated and I think you know the club every club and and everybody working in football has found that a challenge as well what we've tried to do is as we always do is just say you know when you're making decisions. Think about how that will come across to the fans. Try and think about the experience of the ordinary fan and how the decisions you make will, will have an impact on them. Don't assume that everybody's the same. You know, make sure that you communicate clearly. Um, so that's the kind of thing that we've been doing. But we've probably been busier in the last 18 months when there's been no football than we ever have when there's been football. Now, you know, that's also been because of things like, you know, I believe there was some kind of European Super League breakaway attempt, wasn't there, at some stage? Yeah, was it ESL or something like that? In staff, and there was, you know, there's been all sorts of other things. Well, Project Big Picture, you know, that that kind of blew up at the start of it as well. Remember that? So that that's been the tricky thing. But you know, what's good is that we spend a lot of time trying to build relationships. We work regularly with with kind of heads of department as well as trying to have that relationship. But at executive board level at the club and those relationships with the heads of department uh you know are useful you know we talk to the ticket office a lot we talk to the support liaison officer a lot as well uh, and we try and just deal with the practical things and you know most of those people want to do the right thing and want, and want to try and get it right as well so but it, it takes up a lot of time Kat, I remember uh, having you on one of the pre uh, previous shows and you talked about su the surrealness of kind of getting on a Zoom call with uh, with Boris Johnson and stuff, yeah. and, and that sort of stuff which is completely mad. Um, <laughs> just, following on, just following on from what Martin said, what's it been like for you in terms of th that part, you know, for, for um, you know, getting that? Because it is there is politics involved in a sense. Some people vaccinate, some people aren't. You know, the, the vaccine passport stuff that's coming to light now. There's so much dick going on behind the scenes just to get fans back into the stadium, which, let's be honest, we all wanted to do. We all, I mean, it's amazing getting back in the stadium, but so much going on behind the scenes, as Martin said, isn't there? Yeah, I know, totally. And I think the whole um, vaccine certification and verification, the COVID status stuff, is particularly tricky for us. Because yeah. I mean, Martin and I, we're not medical professionals. And so you're dealing with some fairly hard ethics here and you are dealing with some fairly polarised positions as well. So uh, when we were last on the show, we were very fortunate on our board to have a junior doctor, Anthula. And uh, obviously she's been yeah. a fantastic help throughout the pandemic because here she is on a Football Supporters Trust board. So she understands the game and she understands totally. the challenges that face fans and in fairness, face the clubs and the authorities, but she also gets it from a medical point of view. So I'm not going to profess to have her knowledge. But we have been able to tap into that. And we've always tried to take a pragmatic view, I think. And I'm yeah. sure Martin will reiterate this, that we, we have to put safety first. And we've had to be driven by evidence, by data and by public health. So whilst we would have liked fans back in the stadium in full capacity far earlier, that would have been negligent because people's lives were literally at risk. Yeah, so, quite literally. Yeah. It's always been about striking a balance for us, and I hope that our members and your listeners will, will appreciate that. Um, and it, it's tricky. Uh, but from my own personal point of view, I think it's perfectly justified for an event organiser 
to either need proof of a double vaccine or a negative lateral flow test. Yeah. Either or, if it was solely proof of a double vaccine, then we enter into a whole world of pain around yeah. and coercion, which is something that we discussed on the show last time as well. Yeah. I, I want to know that I'm as safe as I can be in that stage, and I'm sure all of us do as well. So no, for, for sure. to take while we're in the middle of a pandemic. But I think that's been a particular challenge for the club as well. Um, there hasn't been a uniform approach uh, from Premier League downwards as to how each club should tackle that. So our club chose mm-hmm. ahead of the Arsenal friendly to check everybody's status, uh, to check everybody's COVID passports or, or to check their lateral, ne- negative lateral flow tests yeah. uh, because they strongly felt that that might come in down the line, possibly from October. The, the noise is that the government might move to that anyway. So that yeah, wasn't a wasted exercise. But it took too much time. It slowed everything up so much that to try and do that at a 62,000 capacity game, it's already quite difficult to get into the stadium sometimes. It's just going to be impossible. That's why we went to spot checks. But there are some clubs that are doing spot checks, some clubs that are doing nothing. So it, mm. it, there's no consistency across the division, which undermines confidence and yep. undermines people's belief in why this is happening as well. So I think the pandemic has put a lot of strain on all of us because we're super conscious that normally, you know, football isn't a, a matter of life and death, but it actually could be. And and we've had to take yeah. it very seriously. So yeah. it's been a steep learning curve for us. Yeah. No, for sure. In terms of our meetings, what we what we normally do in normal times is we always try and focus on the practicalities. So the things that we can actually influence. So yeah. things like how's a digital ticket going to work? Transport. So yeah. White Hart Lane Station shut on the opening game of the season. That's obviously going to cause issues. Classic, classic, isn't it? Hello, like it's the opening game of the season and they close the station. It's like, please, why did you do this? That's going to cause issues for um, the staff at the stadium as well because the flow and the arrival of the fans coming in throughout the build-up to the game as well and not great for for fans at all. Uh, Things like catering, you know, we've noticed the pie and pint deal has vanished and that there's 50p on every pint of beer. There you go. Uh, Welcome back. Exactly. We've missed you. We've missed you. Exactly. And so, um, yeah, that we try and focus on, on all those touch points that affect a match day experience, which sounds awful marketing speak, but it's mm. generally but it's true. areas that we can. If we yeah. can't influence a starting eleven, nor would we like to. So, you know, it's... it's awesome. well, I think some of us would... Some of our viewers would definitely like to influence that. Yeah, definitely influence that's what I tell you. That's where we stay out You mentioned the transport thing, Lily. I mean, that, that's a great example of how... You know, look, this is just a, 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 a personal hunch of mine uh, as well about how different things affect things. Now, you know, we, we know from past experience that clubs will try and say to the Premier League that, you know, there's a particular thing happening. It would be good to avoid this date. The fixture yeah. calendar is a really complicated thing. Now, uh, th- those those engineering works were scheduled, so they knew that White Hart Lane Station would be closed on the opening day. And I would be very surprised if the club hadn't said to the Premier League at some stage, well, you know, can you try and schedule this away from home on that weekend or at least not put a big game in? Now, you know, this may just be me being a cynic, but I get the impression that the Premier League may not be inclined to do the club too many favours after the club was one of the six that tried to blow the entire Premier League model up. Um, so you know, yeah, that might also yeah, be the reason yeah. why we're playing away at Newcastle at half past four on a Sunday, uh, as well. 
So, you know, yeah. actions have consequences, don't right. they? Uh, and I think that the yeah. club may be finding it a bit more difficult to ease the way through. Now, look, that's just a hunt, and I can't prove anything. But yeah. knowing, knowing, as I do, the way football works, I think yeah. that could be an issue. And all of those things we're kind of having to try and deal with. And I think part of the problem we have a lot of the time is that I think we probably all agree that, that sometimes the club's communications aren't as good as they can be. And we, me and Kat both in different ways, we work in communications and we try to say to them, you know, you've got to be clear or whatever. And we end up stepping into the breach sometimes and saying, OK, well, we're going to try and explain this clearly. And then we cop the flag because it's like people shooting the messenger and it's like we didn't decide to do this. But as the club has decided to do this, we're going to try and explain to you. Why it's, you know, why it's been done and, and how you can deal with it in the best way possible. And then, like, we get it in the neck because it's like it's our decision, you know. So, so you know, maybe we're mugged, but I don't know. Yeah, I must just stress, I mean, we've got hundreds of comments coming through here. We do know there's an ongoing situation uh, with oh, regards yeah. to La Celso and, of course, our new signing, Christian Romero. We know Buendia and Martinez are also involved in that. I know some of you would love to deport uh, Lo Celso permanently, but um, I think, as things stand, he will be coming back to Spurs. Um, at some point, I think we, Romero... just, we said we said our fair, didn't we? We're come surprised yeah. Lo Celso made 10 minutes on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's substitute something... 62 minutes normally. Yeah, I must have just, obviously, for our listeners that are on audio, when you hear this tomorrow morning, um, this situation will obviously been resolved by then. But for our live listeners, just making you aware that we, we do know the ongoing... Well, we're trying to see the ongoing situation. Um, it looks like for the moment that, that game is suspended and obviously we'll bring you further updates as soon as we have it, which is why we love doing these shows during an international break, as nothing ever happens. Nothing ever uh, happens. No, exactly. And Kat, of course, come... no chairs of the trust. We can't possibly comment on anything you've just no, said. No, I, I wouldn't want to put <laughs> no, in that position course. as well, guys. I wouldn't want to put in that position as well. So, uh, Kat, sorry, Rick, I was going to say just to Kat. Kat, you mentioned earlier about digital ticketing, and obviously Spurs decided to move fully to digital ticketing before it was known uh, of the COVID status check and all that sort of stuff we needed. Um, do you feel that these are merely teething problems that somehow fans have problems at the Man City game? Um, or, or do you think that, you know, over a period of time, we'll be able to get them sorted out? Digital ticketing. It's my favourite subject, Lee. So it's I'm hard work. <laughs> about this. Look, in fairness to Tottenham, I think we'd been moving towards digital ticketing a fair few seasons ago. So it's yeah. no secret that Daniel Levy is a massive fan of technology. And when he built that stadium and designed it, he had all of the tech in mind. So from the very minute that we moved in there, we had the Spurs app. So you could use your app to access the turnstiles as well as using your access card. So there's always been a little nod towards the way that we were going uh, over at Tottenham. Um, If you look at your everyday life as well, more and more of that includes NFC, near-field communications, technology, et cetera, your Oyster card, all your contactless payments, et cetera. But this is not alien to what is happening in the rest of our life. It's just that sometimes we don't actually associate going to the footy with everything else that's happening in the rest of our lives. There is a push from the Premier League also to move over to digital ticketing. So we're not the only ones to have adopted or be adopting that model this season. Liverpool are also doing that and are experiencing an awful lot more issues than we are. Um, I think West Ham are also doing it, and again, are experiencing more issues than we are. Palace are moving over to it as well. And again, the the thing that, well, with the exception of West Ham, Anfield and Selhurst are two fairly, antiquated sounds rude, but fairly dated stadia. Yeah, the oldest stadiums, aren't they? Exactly right. Whereas at least we have sufficient turnstiles and we have the infrastructure in place to make this work eventually. So that's just to give a bit of a background. We're, we're not going alone on this. 
It is 100% a direction of travel. And it will also be coming to away tickets. So literally, they need everybody on the same system. And then it will be digital away tickets as well. Yeah. There are various reasons for doing this. Clamping down on touting, more sustainable and economically, um, environmentally friendly, not sending out plastic cards or paper tickets everywhere, et cetera, et cetera. And it is theoretically easy for us because most of us are carrying a smartphone. And so as long as your back is charged up, off you go. You can go into the stadium. That said, the opening game of the season, there were always going to be issues. And some of those were technical. Some of those were operational. Others were, it's fair to say, user error. So fans not realising that their old access cards weren't working anymore. Um, fans who'd never used ticket share before. So if you can't make a game now, you can't just pass a card onto a family, friend or whatever and let them pop along on the day. You need to set them up with an account, which is free. Yeah. yeah. Account and link that and move the ticket over across a platform called ticket share. And then they need to download that ticket onto their phone. And for the first game of the season, Ticketshare operated as it had done historically. So basically, four hours ahead of kickoff, Ticketshare deactivated. So you have oh, all no. turning up at the ground, downloading their tickets at the turnstile, all being deactivated. So that oh, was all well. The club underestimated how few people had used Share before, how few people knew how it was going to work. But what they've done now is remove that four-hour block. So you should be able to download your ticket on Ticketshare right up until kickoff. So that's one thing. The other yeah. thing they perhaps with hindsight realized wasn't a great plan. If you don't have a smartphone or if for some reason you really, really cannot use, you know, Apple or Google wallets or the digital technology, they will still issue you with an access card. It's a photo card. It's got, you know, photo ID and it's an access card and they will still issue you with those. And they have between eight and 900 people apply for them. Uh, okay. and they printed those off. And they asked people to collect them in person with ID from the ticket office ahead of the city game. So your queue is already going to be enormous because you're Massive, yeah. collecting cards. Yeah, yeah. People who can't download their share tickets, then people who turned up with their old access cards. So it's fair to say that there were a few issues at City. And yeah, the yeah. were probably far too much. <laughs> I'm really distracted now by Jordan's comment there. Thank you. <laughs> Just for our listeners on audio, there's a massive fan of Cat's Kitchen. Um, Cat, is that for sale or is that just, are you in a showroom there or is that your own kitchen just to confirm? <laughs> it is actually my real life kitchen, but there we go. Thank you so much. Obviously, if Cat's interested in uh, selling the property, Cat, come on in more often if you're interested in selling. Obviously, I'm sure there'll be people up for the, uh, up for the room. So, look, I think some of these things are teething issues. I think the Watford game went more smoothly there were less issues but it's going to be an education process for fans who don't go every week who understand that they now do need to you know download their ticket and make sure it's there and whatever whatever there will yeah. also be technical issues that the club needs to, to fix like my nfc isn't working so whenever i try and just put my tap my phone like i would an oyster card to get in it doesn't work so i have yeah. to call the qr code and put it in the reader and mess around with yeah. it fiddly and i think the more you go the more you'll get used to it but it's not yeah. going away so we do have to embrace it I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I think the club is learning on the journey with us. Could be a far worse situation. But if you really detest it, just apply for an access card and just get a plastic card, guys. So yeah, that, that makes sense. That's, that's good to know as well, actually, because there'll be a lot of our viewers and listeners that wouldn't have had, had a clue that you could apply for an access card, to be fair. Right. 
Um, I mean, personally, for me, I think I think digital ticking is definitely the way forward. But it's interesting that we had a comment come up on screen earlier, I think, from, from Chris. that said, actually, they, they miss physical tickets so they can keep them as mementos or, like, you know, as a reminder. And it's interesting because we were all at the Champions League final back in 2019. Seems like decades ago, but it was only, only two seasons ago. You couldn't make it up two years ago. And I've still got my physical ticket for the Champions League final because it is a memento. So it's quite interesting. Oh, but we... Oh, you, did, you didn't, did you? Devastated, yeah. Oh, gutted, gutted. But that's the thing. Sometimes it is a memento, isn't it? So, no, it's, but I do think that it's, uh, um, it's definitely worth going over to that technology. Again, the, the other key thing is it, there's a lot of different clubs that are at different stages in their stadiums, like you said. And that's why it's not going to be smooth, isn't it? Because you're going up to Anfield or, or, or Goodison Park, for example, traditional yeah. stadiums. They haven't got the infrastructure to support that. So yeah. that's so another thing. Away fans, so visiting fans to our stadium at the moment are still issued with paper tickets. Oh, uh, okay, fair enough. Them to all jump onto our technology. And similarly, if you are going to an away game, so if you are at Wolves or if you're going to Palace, you'll be posted out of paper with you for now. Because what needs to happen for the away games is all of the 20 clubs need to be on the same technology platform. So there's got a Fortress, I think 17 out of the 20 are on at the moment, which yeah. would then make that easier. I would also, yeah. I think one of the, the biggest rights we have on ticketing, and I, I fully sympathize and empathize with this, is around the away allocation process. Um, I think that most fans, when they look at the options as to how you can possibly allocate 3,000 tickets to 42,000 season ticket holders plus 110,000 members, it isn't going to cut nicely. Yeah, it's not nice. The ticketing points process. What really gets people is when they're literally uh, touted all over social media and just resold and transferred and passed on. Um, so the people who bought the tickets originally aren't the people who go to the games. That's what gets people people's goats. And if we do manage to get the Fortress system across the entire league and away tickets are digital as well, well that ain't going to be happening unless you're giving your mobile phone to somebody. So yeah, that, sure. that would be very oh. good news for the people who feel quite aggrieved at the people who bend the rules at the moment. And as I said, I gone, I, the, I gone on the days of the handwritten Real Madrid tickets that we had a couple of seasons ago. Um, I, I remember them very well. A handwritten yeah. tickets, unbelievable. Kat, before we go for a, a quick break, um, question here from Nikki. Does your floor move under the south wall to reveal a different type of flooring? <laughs> <laughs> only on a Friday night. Okay, no problem at all. There's disco floors that you're probably too young to remember, but they're like all the coloured different squares, like a Saturday night fever floor, yeah. Do you know what now? We're going to have to get you on a Friday night, Cat, and double check that tax return. It's not about football anymore. It's just like changing rooms. Changing room improvements. We've got the wrong show, Mark. We should have folded and done that years ago. It would have been a lot less heartache, I tell you. Interesting. Interesting, though, before we go to our break, Nick, Nikki, you just put a comment up before. Um, said that they're a training instructor. I'm thinking, hang on a minute, we've actually got a proper training instructor, not me, not the conductor, the training instructor. That's what we need. We most certainly do. Uh, for our listeners on audio, uh, we're going to go for a very quick break. When we return, we'll be discussing um, the potential of a fan rep. Obviously, that's uh, something that's been brewing away. And of course, um, the recent survey the Trust also published. So we're going to get into that. Phoenix 51 is a powerful employee technology enabling organizations to make data-driven decisions at every stage of the employee journey from hiring through benchmarking and development too. The platform provides detailed analytics on the most important asset in your business, your people, enabling organizations not only to make the correct hiring decisions, but also how to benchmark, train and retain them. Phoenix 51 powering your people decisions through every part of the employee journey.
So, Martin, over to you. We'll go to you first, actually, on this one. So, the scale of discontent with the way the board of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club is running the club has been laid bare in the largest ever independent server fan opinion carried out by, obviously, for, from the Supporters Trust. Uh, 8,358 fans who responded, 75% said they felt uh, in stewardship of the club had declined. Um, that's significantly, uh, significantly, sorry, up for from just six percent in our last survey in 2019, and obviously on field, uh, probably and off field, has, has, has had a huge impact on that. Only nine percent thought it improved, and significantly down from 61 percent in 2019. Uh, undoubtedly, on field events have, have had an impact. How has the club reacted to the survey published by Tottenham Hotspur um, uh, Supporters Trust? Uh, the board have not even acknowledged that the survey exists and haven't acknowledged that we sent them the results. Uh, wow. We've shared some um, of the uh, of the other sort of sections of the of the report with the, with relevant department heads, and we've had conversations based on that as well. So that that's the short answer. I mean, I think talking a bit about the the, the survey, um, it, it's something that we try to do every year. Uh, in order to, to, you know, I think sometimes we're accused of, of, of just kind of doing things because we think as individuals they're good ideas or it suits us or whatever. Uh, and it's one of the ways that we can try, one of the ways that we can try and find out what opinion is out there. Uh, and, you know, in the end, it's a little bit like the away tickets argument or ticketing argument, isn't it? That people will settle, people will decide that the thing that suits them best is right. So um, some people are going to say there's only 8,000 fans replied. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, we would say there isn't any other survey that's independently done that's this big. Uh, and uh, again, Kat can probably explain a little bit more about it because she's a marketing professional. You know, that that number and that level of responses makes it a statistically robust survey. So we're fairly convinced that that is a fair reflection of, of opinion across the board. Uh, and I think, you know, that's not just reading social media feeds. That's not just listening to your own mates. You know, that's just generally picking up on what's being said. Uh, and I think that there is there is a level of discontent. I don't think what's happened on the pitch has helped, but I think I, I was pleasantly surprised by the discontent uh, that, that that people expressed over things like uh, you know the plan to join the Super League. And it's something that we'd repeatedly said to the club, uh, and we've said this you know at Premier League meetings as well that English football fans value things like the pyramid. It, even though you know you've now got football clubs that are owned by countries, and you know that there's there's a huge amount of of inequality. Uh, in the game, if you like, the principle that you can move through the divisions, that you progress because of what you do on the pitch is still there. Um, you know, fans don't like the idea of closed competition as well. So I think that the willingness of, of Spurs and the other five clubs in the Premier League to basically bin all that off uh, hasn't gone down well with people that value what our game is about in this country. Now, you know, we could have sat a year ago and had a conversation and you might want well to said, well, yeah, that's, that's quite a romantic view, isn't it, Martin? But Really, in the end, you know, people will just want to go where the money is and they want to go at the top table. Uh, and they didn't. There was a massive, massive backlash against those plans for, for the Super League. And I think it kind of came, you know, after Project Big Picture, it came over the discontent over the attempts to furlough. It came after this unprecedented ser uh, period of disruption uh, in the game because of the pandemic as well. Uh, and to be honest, it, you know, it, it also came when, when the football was pretty awful and the worst fears a lot of us had about the appointment of Mourinho came true, that he proved to be a, a toxic presence. And, you know, I, I personally found it very difficult because I've never liked the bloke uh, on, on any level at all. But as a co-chair of a supporters trust, I'm not going to say, well, I don't like the manager. 
you know, your job in that role is, is to get behind the people who are, who are working for your club. Uh, and that's it. But, you know, looking back on it, it's not an I told you so, but it was a massive mistake. So there was a combination of things. And I think they all came together. Um, and if you look at, you know, you, you, you did the comparisons there, you know, 75 percent said they felt in stewardship of the club had declined over the last year. And, like, and the approval levels were in the 90 percent in service we've done before. So it, in a way, it's a work of genius to go from a position where 90 percent of people agree with what you're doing and a year yeah. later. 75% of them absolutely totally disagree with what you're doing and they've got to take some notice of that as well you know and you know yes everybody thinks they know it all but you know that level of discontent with the way the club are going that that is if you're a sensible executive board you take some notice of that and you say we need to reconnect and we need to change but there's there's no evidence that they're, that they're looking to do that at the moment it's not in their nature can I just jump in very quickly? So I think yeah, please do, Kat. Please do. How has the club reacted to the survey? So what normally happens um, is we'll send over the survey and we'll ask if they'd like uh, us to share verbatims. And we obviously have like thousands of comments against yeah. the questions. Well, there's three text boxes um, of areas that are of specific interest to the club. So we'll yeah. basically do some free market research for them, and yeah. we'll we'll share that. We'll share. It's all anonymous, so we'll share that with them. And in previous years, they have circulated it to all of their department heads and said, read this. It's important that you understand the point of view on X, Y and Z. Martin's quite right. So this year we sent it over. We had an acknowledgement from the supporter liaison officer. Um, we've shared the data specifically around atmosphere, around ticketing, around membership propositions with the head of ticketing and with the supporter liaison officer. What we haven't had is any acknowledgement from board level. And they haven't asked to see any of the, the verbatims about them. Because that's some really juicy stuff in there. And yeah, yeah. you probably and need it, to see to read Because it. they don't care. Is it, are they not bothered? Because whatever they... Is that, is that the general feel? I don't want to put words into anybody's mouth, but it feels like, you know, on a basic level, it's a 360 feedback cycle. It's like, let's open conversation. Let's get some communication going. You've got to, like, like I totally agree with what you said, Martin, uh, and what you're backing up, Kat, is you've got to take notice of that. That is not like 10 people sitting around having a beer no, exactly and having a chat. This, this your, is, cu your customers, your customers. It, it, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I love the way you've said that, Rick. We're the customers, like the legacy <laughs> fans or whatever. But yeah. Yeah, the reality is that we are, we are the fans that, that, that matter and it does feel like sometimes or maybe all of the time to them we don't matter i think there's um a lot of hard truths in the responses to the survey and i think that takes quite a big person to be able to take that on the chin to look at it objectively and say even if i disagree with what you're saying because i know why i made those decisions and i made them for the best reasons yeah uh, I, I am going to take on board what the perception is because that's damaging to my company, that's damaging to my brand, that's damaging to me as an individual. Yeah. But I think you need to be in that mindset where you're willing to listen to those voices. If you're yeah. not willing to listen to those voices, you can disregard the whole lot as being a section, a small section. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything. That's not the majority, so I'm not going to listen, but 75% is, is a majority. Yeah. I have to listen to the first fans. They don't think this. They were fully behind the Super League. They think we're great, etc. You know, yeah, no. you can literally convince yourself of anything. Uh, one thing that I did want to say on our survey, because we'll, we'll come back onto the fan influence and the board yeah. stuff. You've got questions coming in, yeah, it's fine, yeah. 
one thing that I I, I, um, I did want to say was just to say thank you to all the fans who'd actually taken the time to fill out the survey. They are mammoth because they're annual and they take a good 25 minutes to complete and we cover everything. And it's so useful for us because it's it's not just about having that you know piece of data that we can share with the club. It's about the trust having um, a dipstick and having a temperature gauge of what both our membership and the general fan base feel about all the live issues. Because we have to know what the fan base thinks in order to be go in order to go in and represent them, not just to the club, but at national level to the Football Supporters Association, to the Premier League, to the Football Association, at international level to UEFA or to FSE or whatever. We absolutely have to know what the you know the, the fan feeling is and fan sentiment is on some really key issues and there's always a new issue that comes up each year that we don't have any data on so yep. it's vastly important that people take the time to share their views with us because regardless of what the club do we read every single one of them mm. and it massively informs our approach to how we do our work so regardless of what the club do with it it's still hugely valuable so if we can get over ten thousand respondents next year i'd be really chuffed so just mm -hmm. the Rick, sorry, I forgot time for another quick question. I know, I know that I'm going. Yeah, go for, yeah, you're fine. You're fine. But, um, you know, Oli uh, Lieto, sorry, Oli, I hope if I, I pronounce that uh, right, he says, how often yeah. do, uh, do the trust meet with a club? But uh, actually, off the back of that as well, I just want to see some of the actions, like the statement that Daniel Levy made uh, about the DNA and we're going to find a manager around that. Do, do you think some of the, 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 the supporters' um, surveys and stuff have filtered through? You know, do you think they've made an attempt? It might have been a poor attempt. But do you think they've made an attempt to try and, you know, alleviate some of that? I, I'm going to let Martin answer the communication question because we've discussed this. So okay, I'm, fair enough. I'm going to answer the factual question, which was how often do we meet with the club? So um, I think it's probably quite easy from an outside perspective to think that we operate as, an, as a totally independent organisation in isolation until we go and meet with Daniel Levy and the board, and then we suddenly meet with them and talk with them. We don't. We have a day-to-day -day ongoing relationship with key staff members at the club. So we have recently, uh, recently we've been meeting with the support liaison officer and the head of ticketing because they've been the pinch points that really affect fans. So around the return yeah, to fans, around digital ticketing, around all of the ticketing hot potato stuff that we mentioned in our newsletter. So, uh, you know, I could say that we, we meet with them twice a month, uh, which wouldn't be an exaggeration, but we'll speak with them far more frequently with that. But we haven't met with the board since Christmas, I don't think. No. So, I mean, the, the, the meetings between the board of the trust and the board of the club were, were uh, a, a minimum of three a year. And that was partly on the back of, of advice that the, that the Premier League put out. Uh, which they put out to all their clubs the last time there was a threatened government review into the way yeah, clubs were run. And they said, look, you better start meeting with your fans regularly, otherwise we're we're going to get legislation now. Now that's starting to happen. So we would meet for like a kind of set-piece meeting, but it's quite difficult in those meetings because they're, they're almost kind of like outward-facing meetings. They're to, be, they're to show that there is a relationship there, but you can't deal with a lot of the granular detail. You can have a look at a lot of the policy decisions. So, you know, for example... That's where we asked them if they had any plans to join a Super League. And they said they didn't. Um, so, but in terms of the communication, I mean, the, 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 I guess there's three things I'd look at. So that the club, uh, it, it goes against the grain for them to apologise for anything, but they occasionally will do it. And they say that they've, they did apologise 
over the Super League. And if you actually read what they said, they said that they were sorry that we didn't understand why they wanted to join the Super League, which is a sort of like non-apology apology, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Then there was that statement that you referred to, Lee, which so, and I, I still don't think they get it. Right. But from from the conversations, and it's not just Spurs. Right. All the people that were plotting the Super League, their view is we just didn't manage to get it across right. Right. And actually, the point is, people didn't want it for the fundamental reason that they opposed the very basis that it was that it was built on. Right. That's the issue. But they 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 can't seem to 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 register that. You then had the comment that 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 Lee referred to where Daniel put out a statement referring to the club's DNA and actually saying that, you know, possibly we've lost our way a bit. We need to rediscover our DNA. And that looks encouraging. And you start thinking, well, maybe they've taken some of it on board. But then what happened with the manager search is that, well, we were looking at attacking managers and defensive managers and counter-attacking managers. And where's the where's the there? Something like that. What's that? just something that was said because it's like, oh, let's just keep them quiet or whatever. But then the most extraordinary thing, and I use that word advisedly, was the chairman's address before the City game. Right. So with everything that had gone on, he decides to put an address out that doesn't mention football and it doesn't mention fans. Now, that's the definition of tone deaf. So, you know, has anything changed? Has anything got home? I was astonished when I read that, I, I thought that, you know, if if we could have written what is the worst possible way to address what has gone on right, <laughs> and show that you don't get it at all, that would have been that statement. I think we won the award for recycling. Was in there? Was it recycling? Yeah, about recycling, about concerts, about... And that, look, yeah. I'm not somebody who kind of criticises the other bits of the business model. No, and no. I think the no. statement's a great thing or whatever, and I understand the business side of it all, but... It's the the address before the first game of the season, and you don't mm. mention football, and you don't mention fans. And what planet are these people living on? It, it's just it was astonishing. I've, I've phoned Cat up and I said, "Have you read this?" And she went, oh, and she went, "Bloody hell!" And like the, the whole board was just going, "Is this real?" It was astonishing. So <laughs> you know, where where have we got now? You know, maybe that was just. Maybe that was the last mistake, and it'll all get better from now on. But you know, there's not a great sign that they're, that they're actually yeah. doing this. And I think yeah. part of the problem we were going through earlier that it's not, it's not in their nature to admit that they were wrong, and it's not particularly mm-hmm. in their nature to take out a put. Well, certainly not the likes of us views on board. But yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're trying to address that. Martin, I will say that I think they've got some things right though. I thought Paratici's window app was really helpful, yeah. really interesting. Yeah, more transparent. And I think that went down quite well. Yeah, well, that's another classic, isn't it? Because we, we used to ask them in the meetings. We'd say to them, like, you know, can you issue a, just a kind of a roundup at the end of um, at the end of uh, the window, just to explain what's happened. And we know that they can't play everything as well. And if you make me head of PR, you really are doomed. By the way, but thank you, Cody. <laughs> um, comments has come up on screen. Um, you know, they're not going to be able to explain everything. Some things are going to be confidential as well, but just give a general idea. And it's something that other clubs do as well, and we push for that. And they did it a few times, and then they stopped doing it. I think they stopped doing it around the two windows where they didn't sign anybody at all, and they didn't explain that. And they basically said to us, oh, well, that, that was never a thing, you know, that, that, that we did anyway as well. Uh, so I, I'm, going to, I'm going to take, because we kept pushing for it, so I'm going to take the credit for it. I think people appreciated uh, the the Paratici thing. The guy's clearly very knowledgeable, well connected, very passionate. 
And you could look at the stuff and go, oh, yeah, look, he's, look, it's all been signed off. He's been told what to say or whatever. Maybe that's true. It's an official piece of PR. But at least they went to the trouble of saying, we're going to explain to our fans, to our customers, if you want to call them that, you know, wh what we've done, why we've done the business we've done in the window. And, of course, people are going to disagree with parts of that as well. But it doesn't actually take much. People like to be treated with a little bit of respect. Just yeah. give them an explanation that is plausible, you know. Yeah. Can, can I just say that I think their comms has actually moved up a level when they issued a statement about a fire in a kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing, guys? Now, now we're getting, now we're getting everything. Can, can I well, ask you, Kat? Just to... like the Harry Kane well, for months. Oh man, alive! Statement about a fire in a kitchen. Well, yeah. that was a classic kind of communications 101. The first line was, you know, uh, in contrast to a number of sensationalist and inaccurate reports. And so immediately everybody goes, oh, what were they? Like, they kind of look them up. It's like, we don't want to draw attention to the sensational accurate reports. Don't publish a big rant about a load of sensationalist inaccurate reports. Just put the information out. But, you know, as Kat says, it's like we've got a statement about a kitchen fire, but not a statement about keeping one of the two best strikers in world football. So, you know. Yeah. Top lots of football, can they? Couldn't make it up. Uh, Kat, just to kind of close the, the thing about the fan-led review. Um, I mean, we've gone into some of the stats there. We know among respondents who are sitting together, 71% thought that, way in it was running the club had got worse a feeling shared by 77% of respondents who are one hot for members uh, look at the split between UK based and overseas respondents the percentage of those who are discontent is 76% and 71% respectively um, asked how confident they were in Enix long term strategy for the club just 5% were confident with 77% not confident among syndicate holders who responded 75% were not confident with the figure for one hot for members at 79% this is staggering this stat. I know we mentioned this earlier. In 2019, just 12% of respondents lacked confidence in the owner's long-term strategy. I mean, my God, when you actually put that as a whole pie in contrast to the last couple of years, that is actually quite incredible. I mean, Kat, do you have a feeling, you know, with... I mean, I know the interaction, it seems, with the board is... Obviously, it's not as what it once was, if you don't mind me saying. I'm not, hopefully I'm not putting words in your mouth by saying that. Um, do you think the board generally feel that they can wing back that huge sway of a percentage there to get fans back on track? Because um, as a fan, I've never quite known it like this. Is there a way that you think, you know, being on the ball for how long you guys have been there, will they win those fans back? I don't know, because look, um, and I'm reading some of the comments here, uh, we don't try and speak to every fan, by the way. We, we literally represent our membership, of which there are in, in excess of about 24,000. Um, so that's just to give you guys an idea as to uh, how, how large we are and how representative we are. We are the largest independent fan organisation at Tottenham Hotspur. So um, other fan organisations, you're more than welcome to establish yourselves. Uh, but at the moment, we're the, the largest independent one. But as I said, we don't try and speak for everybody. So um, I think that that's a tricky one, Ricky, because I think at the end of the day, most fans just want some success on pitch. If we can pick up a couple of trophies, if fans are entertained, if they can go and enjoy their football and come back and come out of that stadium feeling happy, they will forgive an awful lot, genuinely. So a lot of it depends on how well we now turn this around. I think that most fans just want the club to prioritise football and not prioritise property deals or prioritise NFL concerts or prioritise Guns N' Roses concerts or Anthony Joshua fights. All that kind of stuff is a sideshow for most fans. We love having a nice stadium, but it wasn't to be all and end all. It's about on-field success. So for me, that's always a litmus test. But I wouldn't like to predict the way that the entire fan base would react. Yeah, to you. You have 
Yeah, yeah. Who are Enoch out and leaving out who are vehement and feel passionately about that. Mm, that is yeah. the end of the road for Enoch at our club for a whole rap sheet of offences. And it can be hard to defend them in, in that yeah. position. It can be. But yeah. then you have people who will be turned happy clappers at the other end who are, are, are very satisfied with the way things that have gone and are very pleased that we're the most profitable club uh, in, in England and have been for the last, I don't know how many years it was, Mike has got the stats, but yeah, we are the most profitable club. I think the thing... You've the got thing... the majority who sit in the middle who are apathetic, who literally yeah. just... Football's a leisure pursuit. They're not bothered about the, the big peel, the little peel politics that go around it. They don't want fan representation. They don't really think fans should deserve a voice. And, and that's that. And that's that's their view. That's absolutely fine as well. But there is, I think it's worth taking a minute to recognise the spectrum there. And certainly yeah. Mark and I would never try and tell people who don't give a toss about fans' views, fans' rights, fan influence, that they're wrong or that why they should get involved. All we can do is state our case for why we believe that, you know, as the lifeblood of a club, that it's important that fans are are thought of and are considered when the temporary custodians, who in this case are Enoch, uh, of our club are making major decisions that affect us and affect the long-term success and health of our clubs. That's all. Kat, just, just on that, you mentioned there about kind of like temporary decisions or temporary custodians, and, and actually they're making the decisions at the moment for our football club. And, and actually a lot of people that I speak to for, for sure and via the show and, and whatever, they, they're not what they, they're not bothered by the boxing or the concerts or whatever, as long as the revenue that we're coming through from from said events goes onto the football field. But I think all of us probably on 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 the show now, and probably most of the viewers will realise that they don't go onto the football field. You know, the, the, the revenues don't go there. You know, the golf clubs that they um, that, that, that they've built or the you know the, the properties and so it, it's not as if it's all culminating in buying the next Harry Kane or going out and pushing the boat out to sign Mbappe. That, that doesn't happen. And, and, and I think that's probably been one of the, the, key, the, the key points. I don't think any of us will ever forget the last game at White Hart Lane. It was an unbelievable day, unbelievable, momentous occasion for all of us. The rainbow, it was literally just perfect. And, and, and actually, that was the old school stadium with half the bloody stand missing. We didn't care about that. We care. And some of the football we played that season was absolute magic. You, you know, he was magic. We all know he was. And, and, and now, now we're, we're trying to, we're, we're, we're navigating for a period where it's been really, really tough after the Champions League final, massive hangover. All, all of us had it. Fans had it. The club had it. You know, the players had it. Everyone had it. Big change, big rebuild still happening and still decisions to make. I'm not saying that the, the, the board haven't backed um, uh, or haven't put money in because they have. I mean, they've spent money. The, 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 the season at Tunga and Dembele come to a club, we started, made five or six signings, spent 140 million and not being funny, most of them signings, if not all of them, were, were, were rubbish. Right? The Celso and Dembele, Jack Clark, you know, with all due respect, Sessignon, all coming to a football club that, that season and they don't even play for the football club, really. So, 140, so they have been back financially but, you know, the, 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 it's the decision-making around the whole of that piece. And I do believe that we have made strides with Paratigy coming into play. I do think that now the club is really starting to to change, make a difference and, and, and try to change. But there's so much that's gone under the, uh, so much water that's gone under the bridge. It, it's going to be a long, it's still going to be a long process. And I think, and I think the surveys have proven that for, for sure. 
I mean, we'll probably come on to, to a bit of that later, but just, just we, we this stuff is kind of quite, you know, it, it's kind of dull and it's complicated. And when you start talking about, you know, executive boards and governance decisions and all the rest of it and, you know, reviews and who gets a say in what. Uh, and I mean, I've seen somebody, by the way, in, in comments are saying that 24,000 fa- fans get a say in how the club's run. No, we don't, because we don't really have much say in how the club's run. What we try to do is make sure that at executive level, fans and football uh, are thought about first. And we ran a campaign at the start of this summer and we made a film uh, called Fans and Football First. And that's what we want to do. And we think, I think it ties in exactly with what you just said, Lee, that there have been times in the recent history of this club when fans and football have not been foremost among the considerations uh, in terms of, you know, making decisions. Uh, You know, other decisions have to be made as well. There are other influences, but it's a football club, right? And the fans are the lifeblood. Uh, you know, wherever they are, whether they're going to games, whether they're the global fan base, and there's whole loads of issues with that as well. But it's got to be fans and football first because we're, we're, we're a football club. We're not a leisure business. We're not a conglomerate of different interests or whatever. That's what it's about. That's why it's a successful business because people support Tottenham Hotspur, you know, and I've said it so many times and I'll be boring to say it again. You know, if I don't like what I see in Tesco's, I'm going to go to Sainsbury's. But if I don't like what I see at Spurs, I'm not going down the Arsenal. Uh, and that's why that's why it's a successful business. That's why we're definitely not going down the Arsenal this day. He's in the bottom of the league. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you see, they're not coming over to us, thank goodness, as well, are they? But that, that, that's, that's why investors see football clubs as, as a great opportunity because you've got that, you know, you, know brand, you work in this area as well, Lee. Brands would kill for that kind of loyalty, for that kind of stickability as well. It's incredible, isn't it? That stickability, you can't walk away. So, sorry to interact with you there, but you can't. It is stickability. You can't walk away. You're in. You, you, you're all in. You sat so many times on the show, you know, it's all right for some of the players, even though they've got six-year contracts, they still think they can walk away. We can't. Yeah. No. We've had a contract for 35 years, 40 years, yeah. whatever it is. You can't yeah. walk away from that. You can't do it. You know, and, and it's, you know the leg- the whole legacy fan piece. You know, there's a lot of fans in our football club that, that support players. I get that. You know, like Hummin uh, Son. I'm thinking about. We just talked about. In my opinion, world class, absolute superstar. Uh, he's in in his part of the world as well. And people will come to watch Son. They won't come to watch Tottenham per se. They come to watch Son. And actually, if Son moved, they're just you know their, their allegiance would go with Son. I, I, and I get that as well. I totally get that. But 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 with, you know the majority of 95, 99 percent of fans that that go to watch Tottenham Hotspur Football Club are in. You can't get out. You're in. And that's just the way it is. And they know that. And, and you know, not, not just our board. Let's be honest about it. Let's go wider here. The whole of football know that. UEFA know that. FIFA know that. They, they can put a Thursday night game on in Gdansk and, and, and all of the travel companies can put 800 quid a, a flight on or a grand flight. No one cares. It's just, it's just, the, same. It's just the way the world works. It, it, it is. And I think, again, you know, one of the, the, the issues you often get with this, and I mean, I might run into Sobeli because I know your old business partner, Adam Sugar, is uh, is one of the people who, who thinks that, that whenever people talk about some kind of like fan representation or fan interest being taken on uh, on a board level, people think, oh, the fans just want to pick the team. They want to run the club. I've not met a single fan. Uh, that wants to pick the team particularly. There are fan-run clubs. You know, AFC Wimbledon is probably the, the, the most famous example, uh, and that's come up because of a particular thing. I think that what most fans want to do uh, is, is to say that, you know, too often the fan viewpoint is the only viewpoint that hasn't really got any representation. And it's back to what I said about why we did 
that fans of football first thing. We're not saying that we've got all the answers. We're not saying that the that the views that fans put forward are the only ones that could be considered. And there's a lot to be said for people who are executives of football clubs not necessarily being supporters of that club because you want them to make a dispassionate decision sometimes as well. You know, there's pros and cons to having having fans. And the people who run the club at the moment are fans, by the way. You know, they've got different views, but they are. And that's not always yes, the case yeah. every football club. So, you know, let's be honest about that. But, you know, we, we have never said it's just about what the fans want. The fans should always get their way. But at the moment, too often, the fans' considerations aren't, aren't borne in mind. And we've seen the results of that over the last two or three years and that the amount of discontent. So pe- people are always going to disagree. And however, whatever reforms come in, if we continue to make bad decisions on signings or whatever, uh, you know, then that, that no no kind of change in governance structure is going to change that. But again, we've yeah. got to be careful. You know, I, I, I'll probably make myself unpopular. I feel a bit sorry for Steve Hitching here because apparently everybody's an expert on how he does his job. You know, I don't know. Right? I think people are basing it on one line that was selected in an Amazon documentary where yeah. he said, and I interpreted that as him saying that flipping at the transfer window is a right pain in the butt. Yeah. And it, right. I, I don't know how well Steve Hitchin does his job or not. I don't know what his job description is. And I'm pretty damn sure that most of the people that are criticizing him on social media don't know either. So, you know, it's just we, 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 we don't know at that level. and we, we don't particularly have a desire to do that. But it's about the kind of the general considerations of, of you know, what should come first at a football club. And I think a lot of people have, have said over the past two or three years, especially, but it's been a constant criticism since Enid came on board, who have made the club a stable and successful business. But they've said, you know, is it a football club? You know, are they focused on winning trophies? And if you're not focused on winning trophies as a football club, if you just say it's good enough, you know, we've got an example of what happens there. It's just down the road at the Emirates Stadium because that club said top four is all right. It doesn't really matter. It just be there or thereabouts. And what happens is that you go off the boil. So we've got an example of what will happen unless you focus on, on your core objective of what a football club is about. Yeah, no, for sure. And Stan, with you just quickly, Martin, across the survey, the current board's approval ratings have plummeted. We've already talked about the stats. If anyone ever doubted significant change is needed at our great football club, these survey results make the point very, very clearly for, for me, for sure. So do you think the recent business we have done in the summer transfer window will strengthen that opinion? Or do you think the recent appointment we mentioned earlier of uh, Paratigi as a club's managing director will have changed that opinion? Do you think that that's been a good, positive move for Tottenham? I think on the surface it is. I mean, we, you know, we've said, and you can imagine that was a bit of a difficult uh, exchange uh, in board-to-board meetings, so we've said it to his face, that the feeling is, Daniel, that maybe you should step back a little bit from the football side. Uh, now, you know, telling somebody who is, who is a you know, well-known details person to step back from anything is not going to go down too well. Uh, and it's probably, probably made us even less popular, but that, that was a view that was put forward. They split the board into a football board and a club board a while ago. And this appointment of Paratici seems to be part of that process that they're saying, we'll let the football people get on with it. Now, the suspicion is, is Paratici a lightning conductor? Because if anything goes wrong, oh, well, it's, you know, it's down to the director of football. We tried the director of football before uh, that, that role and it didn't work because we didn't have the rest of the structure in place. The, the, the big question comes in, uh, you know, how how far is the is the ultimate chairman and owner of the club ever going to be divorced from a decision? You know, is there ever really going to be a situation where they say, OK, Paratici is the football man. Uh, we're going to let you make the recommendations. He's going to come in and say, just basically sign this check, Daniel. 
we're going to pay this for this player, this for this player, this wage package, and that's it. Is that ever really going to happen? So this idea that the you know that the 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 person who is ultimately in charge of the club, who ultimately owns the club, is going to be totally divorced from the process of buying and selling players and that decision making, I think is is absolute fantasy. What what's the balance? You know, does he trust the people he's put in charge? You know, is he prepared to take a punt because the person he's That's in charge? For me, trust. You know, what you just said there, the trust element is is massive for me. I, I, and that, I, I, that only comes over a period of time, like yeah, yeah. season one, season two, four, five different transfer windows. You've got to enable him to build it up a little bit to get that trust as well. But you know, I, I would hope just interacting with you, I, I would hope that that yes, that there is there is going to come a day where. Paratigy is is the man calling the shots completely on football, and actually that they're sitting down at the beginning of the year or the beginning of the season, saying we're business plan. If you want to talk about business, we're business planning three months in advance. Where do you want to be? What our targets are? This is what your budget is. This is the type of players, type thing. I, I mean, I would hope that we get somewhere along that line. Do, do you do you not do you not agree? I, I think absolutely we need to do that. And I think that what people want addressed, there's been a number of times when people said, look, we could have pushed on, you know, probably, you know, the, the, under Redknapp, there was that season. You know, was it, was it, was it Harry Spinner? Was it real? But, you know, we could have pushed on, but we didn't, you know, we, yeah. we, we made a couple of fairly underwhelming signings under, under Pochettino. We, we could have pushed on, uh, but we didn't for, for whatever reason. So I think people want us to, to say to a player, stick with us and achieve something rather than go somewhere else to achieve it. And that sort of happened with Kane, although that was a very, very complicated situation. And probably, I mean, I'm hoping that Daniel has sent Charlie Kane a crate of champagne because Charlie Kane's probably done more to repair Daniel Levy's relationship with the Tottenham fan base than anybody else so over true. the summer, really. So uh, and that, that's it. But um, you, you want the club to, to be in a position where, it, it, for football reasons, it decides to push on and win something. And again, you know, I hate I hate using the Liverpool comparison, but Liverpool, after they lost the Champions League final, said we need to make two key signings and we'll do whatever needs to happen to make those signings and we will go on because it's the football that comes first and everything else follows. And they won it, okay, the following year. So, you know, <laughs> as as we know to our cost, but, you know, and, and they went on to win the title, which is something they've been after for a long time as well. So, that, you know, I'm not directly comparing the business models or the sizes of the clubs uh, at all, but it was the it was the football coming first that was part of that decision making process that that was there. So you hope you, you hope that they would uh, that they would do that. You hope that they try to take the chance, uh, if you like, on you know whether whether it's spending some money, whether it's persuading somebody to come on board. Uh, that they say that you know we we need to make that leap at the moment rather than just playing it safe. And that, you know, that they, they will always hide behind, if you if you want to call it that, maybe that's a bit pejorative. They will always say, look, you know, it isn't football manager. Transfer negotiations are complex. You never know what, what's going to quite happen. But the fact is that we've missed out a little bit too often. We haven't made the jump when we could have done. Uh, and, and we want them to try and do that. And that that's what you hope that this new setup will be. In terms of this transfer window, has it been a good transfer window? It's not been a bad transfer window. I'm not quite sure why we need so many fullbacks. Um, but, you know, maybe they'll say that you know we 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 we're looking to move some people on and we couldn't do that. But then we brought some people in. I think that we're light on creativity in midfield. I know it's great yeah. to see Delhi being the sort of player potentially mm. that we know he can be. He's got a long way to come back to the, to the heights that he was at, but that's nice to see. And I think we're still a little bit light up front. And it worries me when I've been in board to board meetings and I've heard members of the executive board say things like, you know, oh, well, Stephen Bergwijn, is, he's a forward. 
you know, or we've got other players that score goals. And it's that like, is yeah, what, that is really worrying. That is really worrying. You said mine. That is really worrying. And we've seen over the past two or three years a situation that could easily happen again this year. Yep. If either or Sonny or Kane gets injured, and if both of them do, then we're looking pretty short on the pitch as well. And, you know, and should that have been addressed? So I think that's the downside. We were looking for that to be addressed in this in this transfer window. You then go into a discussion about, you know, was Trey away the player? Was he worth £50 million? Was it true that they were asking £50 million? Who made the decision to go or not go? Uh, and we'll never know about that at all. But what we want to see, you can believe in one or two transfer windows that it was quite difficult to, to sign a player. You don't always get what you want. But people have said, we've had about 10 Right, where we haven't been able to get who we wanted, but somehow everybody else has. And it's yep. not always the clubs with more money than us either. No. It's clubs that have, uh, well, and again, that's where we have to look at how, you know, it's the accountability of the board and how the people at the top behave. It's fantastic having somebody who can play hardball and who isn't going to get pushed around and who isn't a mug. But again, Lee is going to probably know this better than any of us in the business world. You need to strike that balance. You can't be a pushover. But you can't be such a pain in the backside and so difficult to deal with that nobody does any business with you. And again, mm-hmm. I think that we've got ourselves into that position as well, which Danny won't like me saying, but it does. he is notorious as being the most difficult man to deal with in football. That can be an advantage, but it can be a disadvantage. So again, they've got to look at how they approach things, how they build those relationships with the other people that they have to work with. And again, you know, sorry to keep bringing up the Super League, but, you know, the way to improve the working relationships with 14 other people in the same division as you isn't to gang up with five other people and threaten to wreck their business model. But, you know, and that that, that first meeting of the Premier League chairman after mm. the ESL was announced, believe me, uh, some words were exchanged <laughs> from the contacts that we've got as well. But it's about building relationships, isn't it? So it's yeah. what happens inside the club and how it's organised, but also how the club, conducts itself outside as well and there needs to be a little bit of an improvement because it's obviously not working at the moment so possibly encouraging signs with the transfer window but is it enough uh, you know probably not but we still need more but paratici said in the window wrap this is the start of a rebuilding process yeah one of the people that wished that we'd stuck with pochettino and and, and backed him other fans will say he'd lost it because we hadn't won an away game for about a year so, um, yeah. yeah, I must just say, just, I mean, only speaking as a Spurs fan, I'm sure you guys can relate to this. So I've, in my time supporting the club, I've never known us to go into a transfer window and ever come out with everything we need. There's always a feeling that we're always one or two short, no matter what the window, no matter what the season, no matter who the manager is. That's always been the general consensus for me. Um, but we are going to go for our final break of the show. We're going to squeeze another 10 minutes out of Martin and Kat, hopefully just a further 10 minutes out of them. Um, when we come back, we'll be discussing the uh, fan representation. It's been a, a comment uh, that's been coming up a lot during this live show. So thank you so much. We'll be bringing that into context after this very short break. Taking you into this short break for our listeners on audio, we've got the wonderful Anna from Spurs XY, who gives us her reaction to Spurs getting off the mark for the, the women's, we must say. Spurs is women getting off to a win this weekend. So great to hear from her about Spurs, I say, getting off to a mark and a good start for there. And then when we return for our listeners on audio, um, you'll be hearing from the wonderful Kat and Martin. Hello, everyone. I'm Anna from Spurs XY, and welcome back to the Spurs Women's segment here on The Last Word on Spurs. That's right, the Women's Super League has kicked off with a brand new season and we started our first game against Birmingham City at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium because it's the international weekend or international break for the men's. 
we could afford to play at the stadium, which was fantastic because obviously it meant that way more people could get there, which is so much better because we need to promote the women's team. And it was a really nice turnout, I must say. There were loads of families, loads of kids and parents and adults. And oh, it was just lovely. It was really nice to see how many people came down to support. And we won, which um, is amazing. We won 1-0. So keeping up with the nice tradition of 1-0 games for Spurs this season, uh, both men and women. And it was good. We we obviously won for the first time in the stadium and there's loads of little fun facts like that that we haven't conceded. We've we scored because we've only ever played against Arsenal. So it was quite a nice. Um, and it was really good to see all the new signings we've had. There was a big turnaround. We've let go a few players, well, quite a few. And we signed quite a few as well. So it was interesting to see. And they didn't get to go to any games last season for men or women. So uh, it's been a while. I saw Rianne now for the first time. So it's... Uh, it was fun. Um, that being said, I wasn't that uh, happy with the performance. Um, considering we played against a very lacklustre Birmingham City and we controlled the majority of the possession and we didn't really do much with it. So apart from Angela Addison at the end, who had two cracking shots, we didn't really challenge their keeper that much. We had a few chances here and there, but nothing that earth-shattering. I mean, they hardly challenged us as well, to be fair. But uh, yeah, that that was my main thing. It's just that the final ball in the final third, it just really lacks. The, the possession was there. The build-up play was there. It's just that last ball really, really wasn't there. So um, I'm hoping we can sort that out because realistically, this, this should have been the game that we would win 2-3-0, maybe even more than that. And we're going to have some tough games coming up because, you know, there's always City and Chelsea in the league. Arsenal are always good. United are there. Everton have gotten really strong this season. So, you know, right now it doesn't look like we can even break into the top five. So if you want to solidify that sixth position, then we need to do need to do well. But we'll have to wait and see. Um, overall, you know, it's a good start to the, the season and hopefully onwards and upwards. But the next game is City away, <laughs> who won 4-0 today. So <laughs> I, I have no, not, not high hopes, but uh, you never know what can happen because that's football and that's life. But um, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed this little segment and I hope you enjoy listening to my coverage of the women's season this year. And come on, you Spurs. Martin, I'm going to start with you. Now, back to this survey. We know that 81% of the trust members wanted to see independent members of the club's executive board representing fans in decision making. And 65% backed that call for an elected supervisory board operating in terms of a golden share option on key decisions affecting the club. A further 88% of THSD members agreed that the football club board should be required by legislation to have independent supporter representatives, um, fan directors as members. How closer are we to having that fan rep in place, Martin? Um, and can you give us a bit of a time frame? Is it possible for you to give us a bit of a time frame as to when we should expect that person to be appointed? Uh not on that. The, the the time frame at the moment is that uh, the Tracy Crouch MP is chairing uh, a fan-led review, which is a review which has been led by fans, but is in the end going to be uh, that the recommendations that go forward are going to be decided by Tracy Crouch after she's taken all of those views on board. And the reason it's been done like that is that previous exercises have uh, said that we're going to get a group of people together and we're going to get a consensus view. And because part of that consensus has needed to be the Premier League, the Premier League has basically just said, well, we're not going to agree to anything. So they haven't got a consensus and it all gets kicked into the long grass. So Tracy Crouch has been conducting this review uh, over um, the last four or five months. I think she knows her stuff. 
she knows what's gone wrong before. And she's going to publish that report in October. Uh, and I think that football as a whole and individual clubs and then also supporter groups are waiting to see uh, what's what's what the final recommendations are. Uh, we, we've said what we've put forward. Yeah, you can read it on our website. It's too long and complex to, to go into to hear. I'm sure I'd bore people even more than I already have uh, on this podcast by, by going into it in any detail. But you can read what we've asked for and how we see that kind of accountability and fan representation on the board working. Uh, the Football Supporters Association nationally has also uh, put forward uh, a set of proposals as well. Um, so I think, to be honest, it's a case of the clubs waiting to see what they're required to do. Um, what do I think is going to happen? We go into kind of prediction mode here. I will be extremely surprised if there isn't an independent regulator for football. Uh, extremely surprised if that doesn't happen. Um, I think that's pretty much guaranteed. Um, the question is, what are they going to regulate and how? And how do they define independent? And what are clubs required to do uh, You know, at the board level? I think it's probably worth making clear that we're not saying that me or Kat or any member of the trust board should be on the club board because being a company director it needs a, a specific set of skills. That's why we put forward proposals for independent non-executive directors on the main board and for a proper advisory board. So not the sort of thing that the clubs uh, uh, and Chelsea were another club that did a similar thing to Spurs. They kind of rushed out this sort of proposal, which of course they've been thinking about for quite a long time, not just as, uh, as a response to the, the, the blow up of opinion over the, over the European Super League, where they said, uh, we'll, we'll kind of get a bunch of people on the advisory board. We know they talk to a lot of the supporters clubs as well. Uh, and then we'll have a chat with you. And then we'll say we've noted your views and then we'll decide to do what we were going to do in the first place anyway. We've said if there's going to be some kind of fan, you know, directly elected fan board, it needs to have teeth. It needs to have some power. One of the things that the independent regulator might look at is giving fan organisations, uh, as Ricky mentioned, uh, a say on, on golden share issues. Um, so what have been called golden share issues. So that will be if a club wants to change its name, if it wants to change where it plays, if it wants to change the colours of its kit, if it wants to change the competition it plays in, it will need to have the agreement of that advisory board or the people who hold that golden share. Now, I think that's a good thing. I don't think that's people who don't know about business sticking their nose in and making decisions that they haven't got the ability to, to make. Uh, I think it's about genuine accountability. And that, that's really what we're looking for, that, you know, the decisions that the executive board of the club made have cost the club £10 million in fines and they've cost it untold damage in reputation. But apparently nobody is responsible, nobody is accountable for that. Uh, and, you know, what we tried to do is to, is, was to put some distance between the individuals that made the decision and the club because we don't want to see our club hit, you know, as a result of bad decisions that are, that are made by individuals. So that's part of what's going forward. But it's a kind of wait and see. We were invited as an organisation to give evidence to the review uh, and we spent an hour with Tracy uh, and a number of members of, of, of her panel. I think Danny Finkelstein um, was one of the people who was there as well. They've got some fairly kind of well-connected, knowledgeable people uh, that, that are on that panel. Uh, and they asked us, you know, how would this work and what have been your problems and what are the things that have gone right? And we tried to put forward a very kind of balanced um, set of answers. We also sent in that, that a long written set of proposals, which people can read on our website as well. Um, pretty much every supporter organisation in the country has done that. Uh, and the FSA as the national supporters organisation in England and Wales has done that as well. Uh, that's all being looked at and, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I think that some good things will come out of the review. 
Uh, I will be interested to see how far Tracy Crouch is prepared to go in terms of reforming, you know, the board structure of private businesses. And I think it's it's a challenge, particularly for a conservative government. It's a challenge for any government, and there's obviously going to be internal tensions there. But I think what's changed is that people have recognised, and I mean that you know it was a a conservative uh, secretary of state for sport, Oliver Dowden, who said football clubs are an important part of, of our national fabric of life. And there's almost a talk now that they should be kind of treated like kind of blue plaque buildings, like listed buildings. That you know you have to make decisions. Uh, you know, on, on the business basis, but the way that that business is conducted, just like a listed building, the way a listed building is looked after is subject to a set of regulations uh, because we have to treasure these things. You know, we're all about, you don't need to explain to anybody listening to this or watching this how valuable a football club is. And that's what we're trying to get hardwired into the system, if you like. So sorry, that was a bit of a long and possibly not exciting answer that didn't mention kind of Martin Chivers scoring in front of a packed terrace at Molineux in the UEFA Cup final or whatever, but that's uh, that, that, that's the problem that you get into, as well as having to be a medical expert uh, as well when you when you take on the role of being a supporters trust rep. Oh, for sure. So um, just just coming back to you, if I stay with you, Martin, if I can, uh, just just I suppose wrapping up really on the survey results, they they do make uncomfortable reading for those running the club. Uh, but you've said recently in a statement that you're acknowledging there are problems in generally working with the supporters to try and address those issues. So can you tell us, and I think we kind of covered this a little bit earlier, but what, what is the relationship now like with the club and the dialogue that uh, the trust and the club are having? Has it been positive whilst we try to rebuild that relationship following, as we've mentioned before, uh, you know, the ESL debacle and all of the things that have gone under the bridge, essentially? I think we've said it with the, the relationship that we've got with individual department heads is is pretty good. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we can practically help each other out. Um, you know, the board aren't pleased that we called for them to resign. We're not pleased that we had to call for the board to resign. Uh, there's, no, there's no way of getting around that. But, you know, we did that for the reasons that I explained, that, you know, we felt that potentially damage was being done to the club. There's still no guarantee. You know, those, those fines, and I know they're still being contested at the moment, but who pays the fines? The club have said we will be responsible. Well, is that going to come out of money that could otherwise be spent on not putting 50 pence on the price of beer or maybe sort of giving somebody a better wage package or making a signing? Or is it going to come out of the pockets of the individuals that made the decision that led to the club getting fined? And, we're, and we've also got an issue with how those meetings are conducted. And, you know, we have to look at what's credible as well. That We sat in meetings with the executive board and we asked them, are you planning to go into a European Super League, which has been rumoured? And they told us that there were no plans. Now, if we'd have just carried on as normal afterwards and, and just gone into meetings, people would have said, well, how can you believe what they're saying this time? And that's come up, I can see, in some of the comments as well. You know, so there's, there's an element of trust there as well. And we need to, you know, we need to be able to say to you guys, we've been in and had a discussion with them. And, you know, we might have disagreed, but at least we understand where the other side's coming from. They've been up front with us. You know, we're not going to agree on this. We might have to do something about it or whatever. Um, but it's, it's difficult to do that. And we've said this to the club. You've caused a problem for yourself now uh, because, you know, it's better that people are inside a room talking than outside shouting. But yeah. the more you cut off the opportunities for people to be inside a room talking, the more people you're going to get outside shouting. And the problem with that is that the shouting bit in the end just comes down to sack the board, which is fine if you've got something to go in the board's place. But there, there isn't. No. You know, and then, there needs to be more of a plan than that as well. 
I'm afraid, and it would be irresponsible of us just to go, right, you know, that's it, we hate everybody, just everyone should go. Uh, yeah, and, and who's going who's gonna to buy the club? That, that's the thing. Yeah. Who's going to yeah. stamp up three billion? I mean, I'm yeah. making the number up, but let's if be honest. Emerges, then, be around said, we, we, and they wanted to talk to us and say what their plans were, then and you know, and make us kind of part of the solution. And we're not arrogant enough to think that a buyer would go, you know, I think I might buy this club, but I'll just check with the supporters trust first to, to make sure I can do that. We're obviously not saying that as well. We're just saying that we'd like to be part of the conversation as well. So look, relations have been better. Um, but in some respects, it's brought it to a head because, you know, sometimes when you're negotiating or you're talking to the club, you can think that you've agreed something or something's been said. And then you have to go back and you have to read between the lines and find out that it wasn't quite what you thought. So I think, you know, if anything has been learned and again, what's been learned in terms of the tone deaf message that the chairman put out before the Man City game. But if anything has been learned is that maybe you need to be a bit more direct and a bit more open with people. And sometimes, you know. You have to agree to differ if you like. I think mm. it can be easy to kind of pretend there isn't really a difference. Well, you know, let's do that, but let's try and work out what we can because we do all want the same thing, which is success for our football club. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. All of us want the same thing, don't we, Rick? Yeah, I've got to say, I just want to catch ca- uh, you on it because uh, ca- I don't like how quiet you're being. So I've got to bring you in and ask you, Cat, for you. Um, what, have you got anything to add to that, Cat, from what Martin said there about the club and dialogue? Is there anything more to add from your perspective? Not really. I mean, we've got. Great dialogue with the departmental heads. It's yep. literally just just the board. And I think, as Martin quite rightly said, mm. they're just waiting to see what happens in the Tracy Crouch review paper. Yeah. So whatever the minimum standard is in those findings will be what Tottenham Hotspur Football Club does. Let's not kid yeah. ourselves on this. But they will present it as the world leading set of standards, which are much uh, you know more advanced than anybody else's. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly, exactly right. So um, somebody in chat was also asking about uh, the fan representation at board level. Yeah, so that's the Monday night spur show, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. So that's kind yeah. of what I realised Martin's answer was quite lengthy. But that is it's kind of what Martin was trying to cover, uh, which is that there probably won't be any movement on that until at least next month uh, yeah. when the um, fan-led review findings are out. And, and then... That- can I ask you just one thing on that, Kat, if you don't mind? You know, on the, my, ask you, on, on the fan rep, this is something that comes up a lot. Um uh-huh. Is that going to be someone that's fairly anonymous that we don't know? Like, as in, it's not going to be a, a I, I, celebrity, you know, do you see what I'm coming from? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, our recommendation, we'd rather focus on INEDs, so independent and executive directors, and on the supervisory board, which would be made up of elected representatives of various top constituencies. Right. So I saw, I think it was Paddy in chat was talking about official supporters clubs, yeah, having a yeah. representative on a, a supervisory board or a club advisory panel. That that's absolutely right. Maybe season ticket holders, one Hotspur members, uh, representatives of Proud Lily Whites, of the Trust, of Spurs Ability. No, Jordan, no, it's not going to be me, mate. Jordan's loving it. Sorry, dude. And I think um, the idea would be that the fan, the fan director, would come from that board, so okay. they, in in order to make make sure that they are absolutely. Uh, an electable, accountable fan rep, basically, yeah. they're representing the fan base, and that they are then accountable to that supervisory board for the decisions that, that are being made. Um, Martin and I, on behalf of the trust, have categorically said that no trust board member will put themselves forward for that role. Yep. What, not something we want to do. Um, but certainly the INEDs would need to meet, as with the fund director, meet legal requirements for uh, mm. a board, for a company director in this country. Yeah, so, yeah of course, yeah. You know, there's, there's going to be some parameters there, but yep. we're very keen to make sure that 
whoever is representing the fans' interests mm -hmm. uh, at board level isn't, you know, there isn't corporate capture. They're not suddenly, mm -hmm. you know, all without voted. And that they genuinely are connected with the grassroots fan base and they understand what the majority yeah. of Spurs fans... When it that's massive. Them, yeah. That, that, that's that's Whoever important. Whoever that role on needs to have piece of steel, I'm telling you. Because yeah, because you, otherwise you just get you get merged in, yeah. won't you? You just get merged into... The amount, the amount of Martin and I have taken consistently over eight and nine years is... Sure. I would just say that doing a podcast is enough. So good luck for anybody who wants that position. That is going to that is going to be a very very tough tough role for yeah, anyone to take. You've got, and you're going to have to have mental steel for that. You got the mental steel for that. For John Roberts, he's had an awful lot to say in chat on this. Yeah. Mm. The Spurs fans worldwide, um, they they would have a say also. There would be a representative of um, overseas official supporters clubs. So mm -hmm. there you go, John. You're more than welcome to get yourself connected with an overseas supporters club and put yourself forward. That would might be a way forward. Brilliant. Okay, guys. Final couple of questions. I appreciate we're going really over time here. So um apologies. We're gonna squeeze these last couple in. Martin, this one's over to you. Um you mentioned in your last update that the start of the Premier League season is regrettably we've seen further incidents of online abuse, totally unacceptable. Um you've continued to use our social media channels to stress our opposition to all abuse and encourage fans to report any abuse that comes to our attention. I know you've been working with the FSA and Supporters Trust from other clubs to promote the coordinating message, blow the whistle on online abuse. If you see it, report it. I mean, is there anything more, Martin, that can be done to really kind of hammer home that message? Do you just think fans just should be seeing sense and, you know, I say all coming together as one to not allow this abuse in our game? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a it's a bit of a pity that that the conversation has to be had, but the fact is that there is too much, you know, abuse uh, that's um that's that's dished out online. We've seen some of it, you know, some pretty vile kind of racist stuff as well. But there's a lot of other things. I think one of the issues with the social media companies is that is that they're quick to address copyright breaches, but not quite so quick to uh, to address when people are being kind of personally abused. I mean, some of the stuff I've seen on social media is just appalling as well. Um, and I think it's just the reason that a lot of the supporters associations are, uh, and, and organisations are getting together on this is just to, to make sure that it's not normalised. You know, it isn't banter. It isn't OK or whatever. You know, some, you know, we're not talking about everybody being lovey-dovey and peace and love and let's all wear flowers in our hair. But there, there's, a, there's a line, which is a pretty obvious line. Uh, and we, we just want to stop that. And I think supporters in an organised way got involved because, again, when the game started to come together, you know, that the FA and the Premier League and Sky and various people were saying, yeah, we need to do something about this. And we had to say, and and the fans, you know, but there's there's often a tendency that people see, well, the fans are the problem because all the fans are the ones that are handing out abuse. And that's what we said, well, no, they're not. So we're just saying to people, you know, if somebody next to you is doing that at a stadium, then challenge them on it. You know, if you see it online, report it as well. Uh, you know, we, we shouldn't we shouldn't be having to have the discussion really about getting people just to treat each other with just a little bit of respect, really. But you know, we'll do it. So that that's what that campaign's about, and it's giving people the confidence to know that if they see something, they can report it without any risk to themselves, and uh, you know, something will be done about it as well. Uh, a lot of yeah. it is connected. There's there's a there's an online harms bill going through Parliament as well. So it's a it's a white paper at the moment, um, and, and there's a whole conversation about freedom of speech and the balance between that and behaving responsibility but it's not just football that's looking at this but we can make a, a difference in the area that we work in and that's what we're trying to do so it all sounds a bit worthy but it's just depressing that it's necessary really 
No, I, I, I completely agree. And, you know, and Rick, actually, you, you say this quite a lot of the time, you know, social media sometimes can be like lots of people on the street just shouting stuff at you. I mean, well, if you yeah. could just put that into context, everybody watching, everybody listening now, no matter yeah. who you are and if you've had banter or not banter, this isn't banter. It's an absolute disgrace, some of the stuff that people have to go through, whether or not it's racial or, or, or not, it is still absolutely disgusting. It would be like, People walking down the street just shouting abuse at each other. What are the world coming to? I think the social media channels that uh, you know, the, uh, you know, we know who they are. They need to be regulated in a sense of understanding who, who's coming on here and actually be taking action against them. That people in this day and age can just set up a profile and just abuse somebody for the sake of abusing someone. It's just absolutely outrageous. And I've got three young daughters that are about to start their social media journey, if you like, if you want a better expression, because I've got identical twins that are eight and my eldest is 10. And, you know, they're going to they're gonna start. I don't want them anywhere near social media. I don't want them anywhere near it. And it can be amazing for us, for PR, for marketing, for, you know, our club. And it should be social it should be socially brilliant but it's just not responsible and i think people need to take responsibility for themselves i think it's an absolute disgrace that we're having to have that conversation but martin and, and everyone else involved i applaud you for getting involved to make sure that we can try and stamp this out because it's just rotten and it should not be happening yeah, that's right thanks can i just pick up at the risk of, of expending it a bit more just on one comment that i've Isn't, seen yeah. I think it's very interesting that eddie ryan's just made and he said, we never cared about the board in my day. Fans never got involved. I think the majority of fans don't care about the board, just the manager and team. I think that's right. And that's what I was like when I started going to see the team. My first game was 1978. We played Bolton Wanderers in front of 52,000. Don McAllister scored a diving header and we beat them 1-0. Uh, and I stood in the old schoolboys enclosure in the West Stand. And like most people, I just wanted to watch football at that stage. And the first time I realised that I needed to do more than just watch football was when the bit of terrace that I used to stand on the shelf got knocked down and they put executive boxes in there because Irving Scholar, the chairman at the time, and the board didn't care about what the fans thought. Uh, and that's why, you know, I've stayed involved, whether it's been involved in writing fanzines or I was a member of the Independent Supporters Association. I didn't get involved in the trust for a long time. Uh, and then I did because, that you know, they wanted some help and I thought I could do something. And I had a big mouth, as you probably noticed, uh, you know, from, from this... Uh, from this vodcast as well. Not at all, um, not at all. You know, Eddie is absolutely right that we really just care. It's a leisure pursuit. We really care about what happens on the pitch. Unfortunately, we have to look at what's happening in the boardroom because that affects what's happening on the pitch and it affects how we can watch the game as well. Uh, I would love just to go to the game, have a couple of beers with my mates and watch us win. That That's, that, I, you know, I've got a job. I've got a lot of other issues. I can read all this stuff, but I care about my football club. So I, I get where you're coming from, Eddie, but I think, again, we're in the same place. We're not doing this because, you know, we think that, you know, we're important or whatever. It just has to be done. If you just leave the running of your football club to other people, things go wrong. Right, and it affects us negatively, so we want to make sure that doesn't happen. Sorry for the yeah, soapbox. Yeah. And Ripley, that was the yeah, polite yeah. way a few minutes ago that someone's ever told yeah. me to shut up. That's great. We're glad you are. I must say, yeah. we're glad you are here. I mean, I've got to say that we are glad you're here. No, absolutely for sure. Kat, coming over to you, and, and I think it's probably fine in here, although I could. To be honest, Rick and I could speak to you all night, yeah. to, to be fair. Uh, it's yeah. been absolutely brilliant. So much love going on in the comments as well, which hopefully yeah. you guys are reading. Uh, but yeah, I'll start with you, Kat. Uh, we should stress that uh, THST Forum is open to full and life members of the Trust. 
and well uh, have answers and issues and all of the uh, concern and any concerned fans, they can actually reach out to you. For the benefit of any new listeners or subscribers or viewers to the show, are you able to advise on how anyone can go about becoming a member? I think John mentioned earlier about overseas. How do you go about becoming uh, becoming a member of the uh, Top Notch Sports Trust, Cat? Yeah, literally all comers welcome. There's no no restrictions or parameters, so we welcome. We're a broad church. We welcome all Spurs fans. I mean, hopefully, you're a Spurs fan. It would be a bit weird if you weren't. But that's trust me, Cat. You do find some weird people here. Not, not all Spurs fans, believe it or not. <laughs> that's Honestly, you get all types. All really? types. I tell you, my God. Only criteria. So whether you're um, UK based and a match goer, whether you're UK based and you prefer to watch at home, whether you're based in Australia, in Singapore, well, in Africa, wherever. Um, obviously, if you're a match goer, there's more practical stuff that we can do to assist. Um, and we do an awful lot of casework with fans who have uh, found themselves in unfortunate circumstances uh, at games whether that's uh, behavioural or ticketing offences or whatever. If you had an issue at a match, basically, we, we can normally try and facilitate a solution for you. Um, so obviously, practically, we can do more to help match-going fans. But that doesn't mean that if you're based overseas and you never go to a gate live, that you can't be part of the supporter movement and you can't have a say in how we run our organisation and therefore how we represent our organisation to the club of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, uh, to the board of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Um, Spurs obviously speak with um, the Pradley Whites, who are their recognised LGBTQ plus group. And they yeah. also speak with Spurs Ability, who are their recognised Disabled Supporters Association. So we tend to be the three main groups. Uh, at Tottenham at the moment. As I said, that isn't to say that somebody else couldn't set up an independent sports association or another fan group. Uh, the more the merrier. Uh, it's very difficult trying to represent a mass view. And we've actually have said on news... We've definitely, we've definitely seen that, Kat. We feel uh, far more comfortable. Uh, well, there are other fan organisations out there as well. So if anybody listening uh, feels like setting one up, by all means, if they want some advice, come and talk to us. We'll help. If you just want to get involved with the trust, which we'd also love, um, then we have a website, which is www.thstofficial.com. So THSD for Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust, official.com. Uh, forward slash membership, uh, you can join as an associate member. That's totally free, doesn't cost anything. And that entitles you to participate in our surveys and come to our events and that kind of thing. Uh, but we don't believe that money should be a barrier to membership. So we like to offer a free strand there as well. If you can afford it, um, we'd be super grateful if you wanted to sign up as a full member, which for adults is £10 a year. For seniors, it's £5 a year. And for under 18s, it's totally free. Um, we don't charge for junior membership or young adult membership. Um, that entitles you to vote in elections and stand for election to the board yourself and basically help support the work of our organisation. We're totally self-funded. We don't take any money from the club. We don't take any money from the FA or the Premier League or from anywhere else. We literally exist on either donations or subscriptions. So that's how we manage to fund all of our campaigning work and all of our infrastructure around our, our website, our mailings, et cetera, et cetera, any campaigning work that we do. So would be absolutely um, very, very welcome to, to come and join us there. We're also on Twitter, um, at THSD Official, and we're on Facebook as well. And if you want to drop us a line on email, info, at thstofficial.com is the best way to get in touch with us. And as we said, the more the merrier. Um, we, you know, people say how many fans do you represent? And we say in excess of 24, 25,000. They say, but the stadium holds 62,000. Yes, it does. 
We'd love for more people to join us, but we can only put the mechanism out there. It's up to people to join. But you're either going to believe in the principles and the ethos of the Supporters Trust or you're not. We're not yeah. going to force you. We'd never ram it down anyone's neck. But if you believe that fans deserve a voice in the way that their club is run, for all the reasons that we said over the last hour and a half, and especially the reasons that Martin's just said over the last 10 minutes, come and join us. We'd love to have you. We run social events as well. So we even do barbecues with Spurs legends and we have quiz nights. And so there's, there's beer involved. There you go. I was going to say, I was going to say, for, and I hope, I hope you don't mind Martin and Kat me saying this, but I've actually been out on a few beers with Martin and Kat now. Absolute Awesome fun uh, to go down and have a couple of beers with at a match. If you ever see them, always approachable. Yeah. Go and have a chat with them, buy them a beer because um, yeah. they deserve it because they're doing absolutely wonderful. And along with that, Lee, I've got to also add that these guys have got full time jobs as well. That, you know, it, and I think people actually realize that. And I have to, I have to emphasize this point. I know these guys don't want me to maybe burn it too much, but you know, these guys do a tremendous amount of work that isn't paid. You know, they do it off the goodness of their hearts because they are Spurs fans that ultimately want to see Spurs do well and actually care about the community. And I think that is not recognised enough, in my opinion. I, you know, I, and it's one of the things that really me. That's why I love having them on whenever we can get the chance because um, it's always a joy having them on. You know, when you get this opportunity, you talk about things that some things fans don't know. Like, there's been so many comments that I've seen tonight on the show totally. from yeah. over 300, 400 people that have said, you know, they didn't know this, they didn't know that. Well, that's why we love having Kat and Martin on it. That's why we continue to keep getting them on because we love having their views. I've got to say just a massive thank you. Over an hour and a half of their time. Always a pleasure. Kat, we love having you on. Please don't go anywhere and please keep coming to us. We love having you on as always. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. And Bless thank you. you, Lee, for doing a show with us. Yay, I love it. I call it. I'm really, really enjoying it. And I can't let you go. I can't let Martin, Kat, you go before asking you, how good was it to be back in the stadium watching Tottenham Hotspur win and having a pint? I mean, literally, how good was it? Amazing. I, I think I enjoyed it a little bit too much after Watford, to be honest. Not about getting home, but you know we'd bluff over that. Honestly, but Martin as well. I say the same thing to say to Cat. I can't listen. We love having you on this channel, and um, again, this is for me when when you come on here. And this is not to again for other people that don't know what you guys what you do. Again, it just re-emphasizes that point. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes at Tottenham as a football club, and you guys for me have always played a massive part in helping the community. And I think you'll continue to do that because you absolutely love the club. And um, from the bottom of, of us here in the last one, I suppose I know all the guys feel this at, just thank you so much. And we all mean that from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you so much for all the hard work you do. And um, it doesn't go unnoticed, I can tell you, 100% from us. Very lovely. Thanks, fellas. And I mean, thanks for people that have, have kind of said nice things in the comments as well. I know we kind of moan a lot about some of the kind of stick. And again, uh, you know, always ready to, we don't expect everybody to agree with us, always ready to have a proper debate if we can. Time is getting to be a bit of a problem at the moment. You know, we've got more members than ever. There's more issues than ever. Our day jobs are getting busy than ever, but we try and make the time to do something. And I'll also promise to see if I can get my kitchen and backdrop sorted out if you want to get me on again next time as well. well now I know. Now <laughs> I know. We've got to get cat on a Friday that for that revolving south to, southeast of the kitchen. We've got to get back on on a Friday night now. I tell you. And um, a lot of a lot of questions about Lee's picture in the background, but uh, we'll leave no. lead to. Uh, it, took, the, it took me ages. To, it took me ages to paint that. So uh, if you want, if you want them, you have to DM me. And by the way, you can follow me. I'm about seventy followers now. Unashamedly, I'm plugging myself here. 70 followers away from 20,000, which is absolutely ridiculous. I cannot believe it. But keep pressing that follow at Lee McQueen button because ultimately to get a 20,000 would be ridiculous. So you can follow him on Twitter and on Instagram as well. So please do. Love it. Love it. Martin, Kat. 
Thank you so much. The wonderful Lee McQueen as well. Thank you so much, Lee. Really enjoyed this one as always. Um, we're back for a very special show during the week, of course. Um, we've got another game coming at the weekend. Are LaCelsa and Romero going to be there? We're going to wait to see. Of course, that drama's gone on throughout the last hour and a half whilst we've been recording. But listen, when do we not record when there's a drama going on with Tottenham? It wouldn't be normal if we wouldn't do so. And again, massive thank you to everyone watching live on YouTube. If you listen to this on audio, if you're listening to it on your way to work on the commute, thank you so much for all your support. As always, stay safe, stay well, and come on, you Spurs! Sports Social Podcast Network.